So um, I'm going to start off with the bad news, um, and then we're going to go on to the good news. Um, so I'm going to look at the problem first, and then we'll look at the solution, if you like, if we can um, put it in those terms. But let's pray first of all. Father God, we do thank you that there is one who has overcome every disease and sickness and even death itself. There is one whose name is greater than any other name. There is one who has more authority than all of these things put together and more. And it's his name that we acknowledge today. It's under his shield and his shelter that we come. And it's the name of Jesus that we declare in the face of this. And also, Lord, as an opportunity of the gospel to those who are recognizing that man does not have the answers. Doesn't have the answers to the climate, doesn't have the answers to disease, does not have the answers, and is realizing that for all of his technology and boasting, actually, human life on earth is very, very fragile. And we spin around on the axis of this planet, not because of some chance or our ability but because you choose to decide that we can every day we are sustained by you lord and by your word we pray that message will be clear in our hearts but clear in our mouths as well and we pray you'd under help us to understand these matters in jesus name amen in 1755 in lisbon lisbon suffered the worst earthquake of its history Within a short period of time, 6,000 people died. Another 6,000 um, died of their injuries. It was a cataclysmic blow to the Christian church at the time. Voltaire, who was a French philosopher, decided on that moment not to believe in God anymore. He said he could not believe in a benevolent, kind God in the face of the Lisbon earthquake. For this reason, it happened on All Saints Day. And it happened at the time when people were worshipping God. 30 churches were levelled. Most of those that died were women and children. And people asked the question, why do Christians suffer in the world? Why do Christians get COVID-19? Why do Christians experience the same things that non-Christians do? Surely we should be protected by God. The answer to that question lies in the fact that the Lord has created an open system whereby both human beings and the created order have freedom. And also that the created order is groaning, if you like. It's groaning in the corruption of the fall of mankind. And the consequence of that is that we also suffer in a fallen world, as do those who aren't in Christ suffer in a fallen world. I'm coming to the good news shortly. I'm just going to start with the bad news. Okay? <laughs> so it does mean, therefore, that we're not necessarily exempt from the difficulties that we face within the world that we live in. Yeah? So please don't walk out in front of the traffic because you will get knocked over, Christian or not. Yeah? Um, 
Will Christians catch the coronavirus? Will some Christians die of the coronavirus? Yes, they will, because we live in a fallen world. Yeah, We also experience some of these things too. So what does Jesus have to say about this? An interesting and curious little incident in the life of Jesus. Come with me to Luke chapter 13. This is not the whole story, by the way. There is some good news coming. But I want to explain to you, if if you're thinking, well, surely we should be exempt from these things, um, the answer is that's not actually God's plan. In chapter 13 of Luke's Gospel, it says, Now there were some present at the time who who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, they were horrified at this. This was an evil man has done unto man. It's one cause of suffering. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, says Jesus. They did not bring this on themselves. This is evil man does to man. But unless you repent, you too will, be, you too will perish. So in a a world where people do evil to one another, make sure you're right before God, is really what Jesus is saying. Well, those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, that unless you repent, you too will all perish. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, this tower fell on people, 18 people died. God didn't do that. They just built it badly. They didn't know how to build towers. They weren't very good at the rules of science. Okay, Make sure if a tower falls on you that you're right with God, is really what Jesus is saying. He hasn't given us the mystery. He hasn't explained anything other than the fact that he says, essentially, bad things can happen to you in a world which has fallen because man has fallen, because we are also exposed to these things. That is the rule, so to speak. That is what God is saying. So the first thing is, is it possible for us then to experience similar experiences as those who are not in God? Yes, it is. Of course it is, because we live in the same world as they do. And the Lord has not changed that. We're coming to the answer shortly. So one of the reasons why bad things happen to Christians and to good people or or to people generally is because of the world that we live in, because it's it's not a a restored creation. The principles built into creation apply to non-Christians and to Christians alike. So please don't worry if you think, well, why is it that even prominent Christians might actually have caught this disease and some might even die if they're very frail or got underlying health issues, etc. Well, because we live in the same world and it's a fallen world. That's the first thing. The second reason why things like this happen is because of the sin of man and that's one of the main reasons Hugh Sylvester who's a a theologian and a social analyst has done an enormous amount of research into this field and he argues that 95% of human suffering is human created most of our suffering is because of one another we've inflicted one another in some way either directly or indirectly Coronavirus, really, in some respects, is a result 
of human activity and it's, it's caused by human activity. There's lots of um, stuff around about the, the cause of it. We understand, I think, our solid understanding of coronavirus is that it's come from what's called wet fares in China where they have living animals alongside dead animals and they're selling them alongside each other and they say it's really easy for cross... Um, I keep getting this word wrong. Um, cross-contamination, that's right. There's a real easy thing for cross-contamination. They also suspect that because the animal welfare conditions are not quite as good, um, that they actually, some of the chickens that have actually been at the source of this infection have been infected by bats, and bats are one of the few animals in the animal kingdom, and you'll be able to tell us that with Megan, if this is true, who can carry transferable viruses um, yeah, from humans to animals, etc. Um, so this is caused by human activity. And human activity is the main cause um, for um, human suffering, as Judas pointed out in that passage there. But it's also to do with the fact that we are all in this created order, which is groaning, if you like, under the weight of man's sin and a created order that has also um, lives in frustration and corruption because of that. So if you come with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse... Um, Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So creation then and the created order and the principles that govern the natural order are all in this place of frustration, all in this place of corruption because of the fall of humanity and the consequential actions of humanity which create many of the problems that we face in society and in the world today, whether it's environmental, whether it's pestilence or all these other things as well. So you've got the world, and you've got sin, and also you've got the devil. And that's an interesting concept as well. If we believed that 95% of all suffering that took place in the world today was because of spiritual conflict, that would have quite a profound effect upon our, our spirituality, wouldn't it? And upon how we dealt with things. Um, within, within churches and within church life. We know that um, the enemy is behind things and we know that there is direct, if you like, spiritual affliction as well. But we also know we live in a fallen world and we also know um, that man creates sin. So there's those factors uh, that need to be considered. But in order to try and understand this, I think the best thing to do is to come to the book of Job. So if you've got your Bibles with you, come with me to the book of Job. Job's kind of in the middle, quite close to the book of Psalms, which is right in the middle. So I just want to sort of share a few thoughts about Job. This is Old Testament theology, first of all. And the first thing we need to understand about the Old Testament is that God redeems Israel through her suffering. Yeah. So when Israel sins, Israel's punished. Yeah. 
Israel comes into judgment and she's redeemed through the suffering for her own suffering. We're not. We're redeemed through his suffering. By his stripes we are healed. Yeah. So this, we need to keep that in mind when we come to look at the book of Job and to understand um, what happens here. But I think there's some really interesting pointers here that help us to understand how we can make a difference and why even though we live in a world which has the same principles of fall, has human sin and has a devil in it, we can still make a difference. So, Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He has seven sons and three daughters, and he owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5 is an interesting one. I just want to draw your attention to that. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. The reason why that's there is to point out that there are hedges of protection around Job. And those hedges of protection are sustained by his prayers. Yeah. They are sustained by his prayers. He prays and, and, and purifies and, and, and gives offerings for each child after their period of feasting. Unfortunately, the calamities occur during the time of feasting. But after the time of feasting is when he actually prays. When we come on to the next stage, we see a dialogue between God and Satan, where Satan says, actually, you've put a hedge of protection around Job. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going to and fro from it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But Satan then says this, does Job fear God for nothing? And Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? There are actually four levels of protection around Job. There are four hedges of protection. There's a protection around his wealth, a protection around his household and his children, a protection around his health, and a protection around his life. And the interesting thing with that is that in this, in this kind of contention that goes on over Job... Each hedge is lifted in time, apart from the final one. God will not lift the final hedge of protection, which is the life of Job. I think that um, one of the things that we can do in the face of coronavirus and that we can do in the face of all crises that come into the world is we can ask God um, to intervene in such a way as to either protect us or alter what's happening. But we can't alter the overall picture. Now, I need you to explain that first of all. We can certainly pray, and we need to pray, 
that there are hedges of protection around us and hedges of protection around our families. But that does not mean to say that it's a, a completely um, perfect system and no one's going to be um, in any way affected. But it does mean to say that we can offer some protection um, around people's lives. We have that as a biblical model. So we can't, over, we can't change the overall pattern, but we can pray and alter what happens within it. So if you come with me to Matthew chapter 24, I'll show you what I mean by that. So we've not been able to pray, Lord, let there not be a coronavirus spreading across the world. We, we haven't been able to pray that. But we can pray within that. And we can ask God to intervene and alter that. So, for example, in Matthew 24 and verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in a field go back to get his own cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Yep. These, these are end time, if you like, features. And you can't pray that the signs, the birth pains of the end times are going to not happen. You can't pray that because that's not within, that's not given to us to pray that. And Jesus made it very clear, actually, that there were going to be birth pains of the final time, of the final age. And the birth pains will go in this order. First of all, there will be wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In fact, the Greek word for nation, which has been changed in many of our translations, is better translated, ethnicity will raise, rise against ethnicity and kingdom against kingdom. This will be a, the, that will be a sign of the end times. The first birth, birth pain, if you like. Last century saw the most cataclysmic wars. The Second World War saw the death of 55 million people. That's 67 people every second. I mean, that's just unbelievable. It's hard to even imagine. That's the first birth pain of a new age. But what follows that? Well, he said what follows that are natural disasters, famines and earthquakes. Then what follows that? Pestilence. And what follows that? Falling away of the church, the persecution of the church. So you've got signs. You've got signs of the end of the age. We can't pray that that doesn't occur, but we can pray within it. So what does Jesus say in Matthew 24? He says in verse 20, pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. You can pray within the parameters of what God, if you like, is allowing to take place in the final stages. So I believe that we can pray 
that God will have, by his grace, a restriction on this. I don't think we can ever pray, Lord, don't let there ever be any diseases on the earth again. I don't think we can pray that. But I think we can pray, Lord, can you restrict the impact that this has? Because what you've got here is clear evidence that Jesus is saying, pray within the parameter of what's already been allowed. Yeah. So we should be praying for a restriction and, a, and, and for the overcoming, if you like, of this particular virus and other viruses and other issues that we face in humankind as well. We should pray for our families and for the hedge of protection. We should ask God for that. And we should pray also um, for his common grace to impact upon things like this that are spreading through the world. But we need to understand also you may not agree with me, but I, I personally think that we may see more of these kind of things because we're actually coming into the signs of the end of the age, so to speak, as, as Jesus described them. I also believe that we should pray with authority when we pray. The interesting thing is that when you see Jesus um, actually dealing with viruses, there aren't many occasions in the Gospels, but there's one. And one is where Jesus heals um, Simon's mother-in-law. If you'd like to come with me to Mark's Gospel, and there's also in Luke's Gospel too. Luke picks up a slightly different angle on it. Um, So... In fact, we're going to go to Luke first because Luke Luke has a slightly different emphasis. So it's on Luke chapter uh, 4 and it's on page 1031. Now Jesus has just come out of the wilderness and he's come out with power and authority and who he is is unveiled spiritually. So he goes into the Capernaum synagogue and the moment he goes into the Capernaum synagogue, the man who's in there who's who has a demon, his demon eyes, starts to scream out. And Jesus immediately takes authority over the spirit that's in the Capernaum synagogue. Boom. That's the first thing. First evidence is that now there is a clash of kingdoms. Now the kingdom of light is advancing over the kingdom of darkness. That's the first thing that's happening. And Jesus has brought that into the Capernaum, uh, Capernaum synagogue. The moment they leave the Capernaum synagogue, they go straight to the house of Simon Um, Simon Peter, where Simon's mother-in-law is suffering from a high fever. And they ask Jesus to help her. So he bends down over her and he rebukes the fever. Now, interesting words in the Greek in this. He speaks to it like a person. He speaks to it as if it's like a person. And the other thing that's interesting is, and it comes out more in Mark's account, is that it left her, as the word in the Greek means almost like it walks out the door. It's like, some, it's, like, it's like Jesus comes in and he's talking to someone and he's basically chucking them out of the house. It's very interesting um, how he does this. And he uses his authority. Now Jesus 
uses healing in all kinds of different ways. So for the man who was paralytic, he just says, your sins are forgiven you. For the woman who was, who was bleeding internally, she just needed to touch the hem of his robe. Here, he takes a stance of authority. And he, he is taking authority, speaks into that situation, commands it to leave. I think that's a model of prayer for us when it comes to handling this virus. I think we should take authority in his name because the name of Jesus is more powerful than the name of coronavirus. It is nothing to him. He will bow the knee to his name. Um, It is nothing to him. And so I wanted to say that because I, I think it's really important we understand that, that the Lord is the one that sustains us and he is our shield. And I'm going to finish with 2 Thessalonians 3, if you've got your Bibles with you, just 2 Thessalonians 3. Because the Lord wants to know that he is your shield. We sustain ourselves and we sustain the hedge of protection that's over us through our prayers, as, as is modelled in Job. But the Lord ultimately is our shield. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not everyone has faith. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That word protect can also mean shield. He will be our shield. He is our protection. But interestingly, Paul urges the believers to pray, to continue to pray that the Lord shield and protect us and sustain us. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So I just wanted to just say a few things there very quickly. We live in this world which is fallen and we as along with anyone else are subject to the same principles of the fallen world and we're not going to be able to stop some of the things coming down the line because these are signs I believe of the end times but we can pray within those because we've been given authority to do that. From the beginning, as stewards of the earth, we were commissioned by God to have authority over the earth. Yeah? So we can pray with authority in his name, not only for the protection of our family and friends, but also I believe we can pray in authority for this virus to have no more effect, for it to be... Um, halted, if you like, not by the efforts of man, but by people taking authority in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who has all authority. And we will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. Let's pray. Hmm. Well, Father God, we do thank you that you have given us a revelation into from your word as to helping us to understand what's, what's currently going on in the world today.
but also equipping us as a church to be able to, to pray with authority a prayer that says we're going to stand here, make our stand here um, in the name of Jesus and, thus, and say to this thing thus far and no further. And so, Father, we do pray, first of all, a hedge of protection around those whom we love. We pray a hedge of protection around family members, our own family members, but also around um, members of the church here too, particularly those who are older and more vulnerable. We pray your hedge of protection around them and that you would keep them, Lord. Be their shield and their protection and keep them and sustain them. But we also take authority in the name of Jesus and in his name to command that this virus does not afflict people here. And if it were to, that we would take, we would take authority over it in the name of Jesus. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us not only faith, but also give us an understanding of the authority we carry in the name of Jesus we have authority to pray for those who either have that disease or are subject to it, Lord, that you might protect us and deliver us by the power of your name. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. You're going to